So do you want me to do the the uh, synopsis for Skyfall or <laughs> Skyfall? Uh, Skyward. Skyfall. This is gonna be good. Welcome back to Girls Talk Comics. This is your Lieutenant of Literature, Jessica, taking the reins today with the lovely, the gorgeous. Is that me? Yeah. Oh, hey. It's like early morning recording, and I love getting a compliment this early in the day. This is Erin, your master of mediocrity. <laughs> Hell yeah. Today, we're doing a special request from someone who actually listened to us. Oh, it was so exciting to get a little bit of feedback. <laughs> it was absolutely intoxicating. So we dropped everything and decided to do what they asked, which is cover volume two and three of Skyward. Yeah. So this wasn't that big of an ask because it's a wonderful comic. And also it does the thing that we like here and it ended. <laughs> Right. And that's really yes. nice. I like a story arc that comes to completion. That's what she said. But mm-hmm. um So just a reminder to everyone who obviously totally listened to that first episode, right? I would hope. Skyward is a comic about a world with low G. So this cataclysm happened, probably man-made in some way, where the magnetics of the Earth shifted and we ended up with, like, what was it, a quarter of the gravity that we normally have on Earth? Yeah, it was a really low percentage. So people float constantly, but they also, like still kind of adhere to the earth unless i don't know something with high velocity shoots them into the air and you know then they disappear into space and die or you know like if they shoot themselves into the air and then slowly like lower like the moon landing but then also like you gotta be landing on your feet or you might break your neck you know so it's a different landscape entirely and humans have adapted and some of them adapted through use of technology the rich actually live low to the ground because it's safer in cities Mm -hmm. and they use technology to reinforce the status quo. The poor live at the top of the skyscrapers, which is a funny alteration between modern actual reality and (laughs) and this universe. There's also some fun things like water just is blobs that float around in the air. Which is really cool and beautiful, but then also very disturbing whenever you think of yourself getting stuck in a ball of water with no way out. Kind of like that scene on Passengers. You remember that weird, like, stalkery Stockholm Syndrome movie that came out with Jennifer Lawrence? I didn't see it, so... Yeah, oh, it's real gross. And I don't think um, you could drown in a spaceship. I mean, you could drown in a spaceship if there was water. There was a pool scene. Gravity went out because the computer like was dying. Anyway, so we have a lot of cool scenes with like how people are adapting in this new world in volume one. And in volume two, our heroine, who is a beautiful, intelligent, very resourceful woman and is excitingly an African-American representation, which also excitingly isn't an impetus for anything and neither is like really her sex, which is nice, but they've, they've kind of taken that social aspect out of this and it's more just dealing with the apocalypse. So this beautiful, intelligent, resourceful kind of teen woman, is she 
like a teenager, early 20s. Yeah, I think she's an, a young adult. Yeah. Way independent, yeah. has a job. Mm-hmm. So I think she's definitely older teen, if not young 20s. I can't really remember if they outlined her age. Yeah. But she can go on an epic adventure without her exactly. dad. Exactly. So she gets thrown on this epic adventure, the impetus being her father passed and told her to save the world. His passing was in response to an evil corporation. So the people who have all of the technology used to be a partner of of her father's. He thought that her father was going to upset the status quo, which would upset his funds and control over the entire modern world structure. And so he has her father killed and comes after her to get her father's journal. So she is running a fugitive of the law, and she has a male sidekick who is a rich boy whose parents are arms dealers and happens to be missing his He's legs. He's a rich boy turned rogue. Yeah, turned rogue. I mean, like, he worked with her in the messenger service, like, is not a member of his family actively anymore, mm-hmm. but also has physical amputations that are no longer affected by the world in the same way. He doesn't have the mobility restrictions that somebody who's missing the bottom two parts of their legs would have because he can fly. (laughs) So it's actually like a big part of his life, the zero-G status quo, in a different way than his parents, which is status quo and money. His is mobility and freedom. And then there's this higher socioeconomic thing you're introduced to in the volume two with how the food's sourced. And it's kind of a Snowpiercer situation yeah. where the food is bugs and the bugs are also flipping huge and dangerous is all kid out. And the farmers are actively dying trying to source this meat from these bugs, which is real gross mm-hmm. again, let me just say. It's totally late stage capitalism stuff. Oh, it's- yeah, definitely. And they're, and they're actively in the middle of like a revolution and that they've already started. So that all happens in volume two, where she basically reveals the socioeconomic plot, has a little bit of love interest drama with her rogue boyfriend, not boyfriend, um, and this handsome, charismatic- Leader of the resistance. Exactly. So that's fun and Mm -hmm. kind of like, ooh, she has sass and control of her sexuality in a way that I appreciate in female characters. So that was really nice. In volume three, the conclusion arc, we find that her mother's alive, which is nice because she's not an orphan. And there is no fixing the world, which I think is a refreshing take. But instead, the solution her dad had was an underground city. So then we have, in Volume 3, a whole different kind of environment that we're we're operating in, where we have Thrill in the first volume with this adapted world with modern social structures completely flipped on their head and new survivalist techniques being required. In Volume 2, we have socioeconomic expansion, we have revolution and higher, like, almost... Journey to the Center of the Earth style, world building changes, right? And then in volume three, we have mildly cultish underground bunker facilities and insularness there of a solution to a problem that is not available to everyone, even though we have the resources to make it available to everyone. And then they do this wonderful job of marrying that with the original social structure being flipped on its head and a great underlying message of sometimes you can't just fix a worldwide 
issue like gravity. Like there's no ex machina there either. Like there's no, oh, I'm going to hit this red button and all of the world's problems are fixed. It does help them contribute to a solution in the end, you find out, but it's not the big fix of gravity is going to go back to quote unquote normal. Because in a way, the new world and its regime is beautiful and dangerous, but not much more so than any other type of world. It's the human societies and structures that are the inherent evil. The big cataclysmic event was bad, don't get me wrong, but it's just something new that people adapt to, like they adapt to anything else. And this was mostly on the haves and have-nots, right? Like this is mostly economic-based, and and I appreciate that they focused on something. Yeah. It was big. I mean, like, it's a big, like, society-wide thing. So, so yeah, we, we get to the complete arc. We get our love story completion. We get a couple of big bads defeated and or given their karmic justice. And they really did. They found a satisfying end to the series that in the middle of volume two, I was really... I didn't know how they were going to finish it in just one more volume. Like, I read volume two and I was like, okay, so did you bite off a little bit more than you could chew? But... They had a really clear vision, and it was action-packed, but a complex. Like, so I feel like they just made mm-hmm. a great use of the story time they had. I, I don't know. Like, how did you feel that the pacing and stuff went, Erin? I thought the pacing was really good, and it built its itself in really kind of trackable ways. Everything felt distinct. Like, the first volume was very much just the city. And getting introduced to the world and how it started. The second one was very much these jungle forest regions with these massive bugs and farmers and revolution. And the third one was very distinct in it being, you know, find the solution, end the story. And I I liked that they were very defined arcs. They were very defined scenery. There were so many little things about it that allowed for it to be broken up in very clear ways for me. And that mostly had to do with the scenery they were using. I remember volume two was mostly in kind of the wild areas. and volume three, they were back with more humans and they were underground in that big city. And it was back into technology and, you know, back in the actual city where we started. And so that really broke up the narrative in discernible ways. Because the first one was like, look at how much fun we're having. Look at the introduction. Look what it's like to live in this world in a city. And the second one was like, look at all the survival we have to do. Look at what it means to be part, like to be on the fringes and not in the modern areas. Look at what it's like behind the scenes when we're just again, surviving. And then the third one was back again to the look at what it's like to live in the world. It's just kind of the average Joe. And the backdrops helped with that. And I believe Joe Henderson has a lot of experience with writing since he does a lot with television. (laughs) It's so, it really, his skills I think came in handy with pacing. Lee Garbett and Antonio Fabella as part of the artistic team may have influenced the pacing a little bit. I'm not entirely sure how much communication they did when it came to like, this is how you structure a comic versus how you structure storyboard for a TV show. I have no idea how that works. I work in social work. It's very different. (laughs) (laughs) But it still, the ability to tell the story in condensed images and arcs and scenes is very strong skill and I think really Mr. Henderson pulled it off very very well 
so I, I liked how it flowed. I liked how it paced. Uh, there's a hardcover edition coming out for it in March of 2021, and I'm already looking at ordering it. So <laughs> it's going to be a little bit easier to yeah. access than all the floppies I bought. But <laughs> like, that's, definitely, I I want to read it again. I don't want to unbag and board all of my single issues. Uh, so I will wait patiently for the hardcover edition next year. But I think it's been optioned for some media. Gosh, I can't remember if it was television or not. If that follows through, I'm really excited about that. I would love to see this I kind of, adapted over to a TV show. If that's true, I want it to be like sci-fi. Because it gave me dollhouse oh, vibes. Course. It gave me firefly vibes and i'm glad you reminded me that he did a lot of episode work and tv work because it did it had an episodic feel to it it was like a, a mini series in three parts and and you felt mm-hmm. like you got somewhere which sometimes is frustrating in comic books where you feel like you've wasted your time on an issue because you didn't get anywhere every single issue section and every volume you know they did a good job of the small yeah. conclusions and hooks, and then they did a medium size for the volume. And I can imagine it's very different reading the hardback. So you're going to have to report back to me on that. Like, I don't know, just on Twitter or something. Yeah. Saying, I'm curious. <laughs> that'll, that'll be a different way to do it. Because I've actually, I've never done the omnibus or library editions of books. I Well, I think I did with Sandman. And that was an exciting, oh, girl, and it felt very, out. it was very much like a binging. But like, I've mostly read trade paperbacks dude they're so expensive like i make i know but they're the only way to interact with like marvel and dc like i just read like that's the only way that i get into that big complex nonsense is i get the doctora to prescribe me a a run for (laughs) a character and and then i go buy the doctora prescription you know which like sometimes is let me just look. Planet Hulk, and sometimes it is the Hawkeye omnibuses uh, that were. Oh God, what was that? Like 2010. Like it's the way to go, Erin. You're missing out. Like, okay, I yeah, know it's I'm a big out. ticket item. Yes, but I also don't have, have bookshelves. So much okay? money. Okay, that that's legit. I I do struggle with that as well because like I have book size bookshelves. And not like hardback <laughs> omnibus right? size bookshelves, which are a very particular size. I've also condensed onto a one bedroom apartment. Like, okay, that's true as well. But like, don't you just want to like go binge like custom built shelves now? Like, I want to go look. I up. totally do. Okay, so my housemate David totally has the skills for making furniture, and so we've talked about when we oh. buy a house. He like. <gasps> wants to do custom stuff and it's you know there's the difference between like going out and spending the money on somebody who does it all the time every day that is their career like i'm not gonna even pretend that david's gonna be like here's some illustrious amazing perfect piece of work but he knows how to do it and he wants to do it and so if he ever comes in and he's like i want to make custom shelves for all of our stuff i'll be like yes that would just be really nice <laughs> but we oh can't God, do that, that in our apartment so nice. okay so the characters one of the things that i like about skyward that you don't always get through other comic series mr henderson and the team maintained character motivation throughout all of it 
and Mm -hmm. the characters became more complex or less complex or the relationships changed with other characters as more information came out. So I believe the evil corporate guy, he was under arrest in the underground city and the relationship and understanding with him changed as our heroine learned more, but maintained a consistency in her personality. Mm -hmm. She was still the same. She never resorted to violence, which she was always against. You know, her losing track of her maybe, maybe not boyfriend didn't completely destroy their relationship uh, because they had years of history with it. Like, there was just a consistency in the narrative, in the overarching narrative, that maintains interest. And it, it was nice that it did end in three volumes. I think that was 15 single issues but i i really liked that the characters were still the same that we knew you know and they're still kind Mm -hmm. and supportive and good friends and didn't want to resort to all-out violence and getting introduced to the mother who we thought was dead this entire time was really impactful because she had a you know completely different perspective i think she had gotten married again and like yeah, yeah, I don't think she, she had a new, she did. any she had a new, new children, but yeah. No. Yeah, she had just started a new life and I guess didn't realize that she, her daughter and her husband were still alive too because they had agreed to sh- meet up there. And so it, it really added kind of a nice complexity to that history because what I, I also liked was that the mother was like, I've I'm so glad you're back. <laughs> you know, like instead of it being a, yeah. a sad rejection of like we're both aliens and strangers, there was at least a, a desire for that familiarity, for that past, that history, which was good to see. That little city though was like really interesting. Was, like the kids in the schools yeah, were just really totally. Yeah, no, I thought that it was like they did a good job of giving you enough of that world to feel like you knew it as its own entity. And and I think that you're right. They did a good job of maintaining the integrity of the characters. And I feel like that is aided totally by their work in TV. I feel like TV does a better job of that. Mm, I have watched some bad TV. <laughs> well, okay. I feel like Lucifer does a good job of that. <laughs> like, <laughs> which is what Joe Henderson is the showrunner for. So, first of all, I want Want to give my apologies to Joe Henderson about the fact that he has a very common name because I also have a very common name. Hello, my name is Jessica. There are a million of us. We are Legion. There's at least two authors and one saxophone artist uh, that are Googleable before you get to Joe Henderson, showrunner extraordinaire. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I did finally figure out that his main was Lucifer, which I feel like we talked about before. And I'm trying to figure out if they do have an option. And I feel like if they did, it wouldn't be sci-fi because he has that pre-established connection to Fox. I mean, like, I'm not mad at it. Fox also... I I mean, Fox was where Firefly lived while it was going, wasn't it? That was a... Yeah, so if Skyward... I mean, Skyward is being picked up by Sony, but even if it was with Fox, I still think they could handle a sci-fi show. It does look like, or at least what I last saw was that it's going to be a movie, which I think would still be fun and fine. And I think there's a lot of opportunities for that. Because like, did Sony do Spider-Verse? If they did, I would be totally down for a Spider-Verse like comic movie. With With the low G stuff, it would be very like, it could be 
it's like great Spider-Man movement mechanics, right? So mm-hmm. it really depends mm-hmm. on how they try to adapt it. But uh, I there's a lot of good potential, but I guess both as a show and both as a movie. It's really great that we just don't know a lot about movies and screen adaptations of things. And so it's like, I don't know which company owns what. Most of the companies are owned <sighs> by the same overall thing, so whatever. Uh, <laughs> Yay, welcome to the Disney sphere. I mean, like, no, really, I did enjoy this adventure story. And it's comforting to know that it was, at least I think it was decent representation, like spread. And it's with a person who who does understand show running. And it would be a great vehicle to get more diversity in cast and crew. I definitely yeah. would see that as a good like vehicle to give roles to a diverse group of actors and actresses. So Yes. I don't know. I'm just really excited about Fingers it. Because crossed. it is I mean like it is a very they have stripped out the race and sex issues from it and have really only spoken to socioeconomic structures. I can't say they stripped that from it. Like, keep in mind, our heroine and her maybe, maybe not boyfriend and their other friend, who I think we discussed in the first episode was very obese, they all lived on the top layers. So there is still that undertone, that underpinning of the socioeconomic stratification based upon other identifying factors. It just like wasn't an explicit part of the conversation. So, um, but but I mean, like, like they did. I would have to look at the first volume again because I think that the people on the ground were just as multifaceted as the people in the air. And I know that the the gun runner, the family. What were like mm-hmm. lat, lat Latinx? You know, they they had non-white characters in positions of power as well. So that's that's fair. I'd have to look at it again and kind of view through that. Yeah. I just where I was getting with that is with a TV show, you could add background characters and other cultural like touchstones that could still mm-hmm. that would not ignore that um, race and gender and ethnicity could have an right. impact on that. And, you know, it it is a future and you can reimagine it in any way and have those same touchstones like for the wealthy and whatever the case may be. We're, we're right. talking about capitalism and the abuse of power in the way that people adapt and um, mistreat. Because, again, it's not like fixing capitalism is going to fix the gravity. That's That's – a done deal but the problem is the abuse of people (laughs) right exactly but they're both white men so they don't really have the background to speak to those things so they didn't try to put voices in their mouths which i think we've talked about before with like bitter root and stuff about how it it's better to let people because oh god what was the other one uh we were talking about Bitterroot because they were definitely speaking to those cultural experiences. But then we were talking about a different story where, like, the author intentionally didn't try to put their voices into it, but they actually just um, let them respond to their situation, but they didn't, like, have them speaking about it specifically. Um, 
God, I wish I could remember which one that was because it was a great example of like still dealing with the topics without having them speak for the topics or speak for their experiences as a whole. They were just interacting with those microaggressions and like responding to them, but not like giving their inner thoughts about the society at large and how it affects them. You know what I mean? Like, so like showing, not telling because they can't relate to, they don't have the voice to tell that story. That's more what I mean whenever I say they kind of strip that out because they don't have that female perspective. They don't have that, you know, non-white perspective, I guess. I don't know. From what I can see in the pictures, they didn't seem to have (laughs) non-Caucasian. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm whitewashing them. I'm sorry if that's so. But I I appreciated that it was something that they handled in a way that wasn't like she's talking about her experience as an African-American in this setting. She was just interacting as an impotence for change and, you know, like better future but you're right then i might like look back and find that you know like there were were some like cultural lines drawn that i didn't pick up on or they could do the thing where they put those in the show where they weren't in the comic so that's totally i feel like i feel like that's what i was trying to get to yeah i feel like that does happen a lot yeah and in my head i'm sort of seeing like firefly again right where you know there were a lot of like Uh Chinese slums and stuff in various scenes in various places. Like, you did differently. Like, you saw some, like, like futuristic Chinese, like, inner city urban areas. And then, like, in a different episode, you saw a completely different, like, poor, rule, you know, like, white America situation on a different outer planet, you know. So, like, there are opportunities to make different sections, portray different experiences of socioeconomic problems like there are several different ways that capitalism screws us and they have a way to like you know because even even in the comic a little bit they talk about how kansas city was different than chicago because they had nets and stuff so they had a little Mm -hmm. bit more protection for people than chicago did yeah so like maybe different cities have different levels of it was nice to see kansas city on the map for that yeah wasn't it like hey i think kansas city got taken out by the bugs (laughs) It's kind of true, though. <laughs> they will carry you away down yeah. here sometimes. Yeah. They're pretty big. Mm-hmm. It's pretty gross. Yeah. It's all the freaking spiders. Oof. Oh, I'm so glad it was dragonflies and not spiders. Yes. Oh, my God. Ooh. If it... <gasps> I don't think I would have been able to handle that if it, they were like, here, what's up? Uh, giant spiders... Uh, that would have tr- made this completely into a horror comic Mm-mm. instead of something Mm-mm. palpable. And I appreciate them not doing that. So, Joe, Mr. Henderson. Thank you. Thank you. Please don't add spiders to the movie. Oh, yeah. Keep it dragonflies because they're also very intimidating and gigantic pony-sized shapes. Also, butterflies That's, and fireflies yeah. were Just, so cool. I loved it. Butterflies – as a large thing is also scary. Like they did mention that they might eat your arm off, but like the fireflies were just so adorable, and I love them. Uh, <laughs> I love their glowing. Yeah, butts. that those are kind of soothing. I mean, they're. I just also the idea that like we wouldn't have dogs; we'd be having bug pets that were much harder to domesticate. That was part that hit me the worst. That's pretty cool. Was the like death of all the farm animals like i didn't like that 
Like yeah. worse than Kansas City dying. <laughs> yeah. I did not like that scene in volume two where they were like, and then all of the cows died because you see them being cute and getting like to walk on the ground because they were strapped. And I was like, oh, look, they figured out a way to keep the cows alive. And then it was like, no, just kidding. Bugs. Everything's bugs. Yeah. They did not. Everything's bugs. Instead of everything being <laughs> cake. Ooh. Yeah. Don't like it. Like, cut it open and it's bug meat. Uh, okay, on that note. Um, I never want to say that again. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> I feel like that's the note that we should leave everyone yeah. on, though. It's like, everything's bugs. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> also, you should totally watch the movie if it gets to completion and read the books and the hardcover's coming out in March and it's really, really, really neat. Oh, also, also follow us on Twitter and Facebook and maybe buy us a comic. Bye. Bye. I don't know if you saw my drunk tweets about it. Do, 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 do. Reading Beasts of Burden and I was talking about how that's a book that like still makes my chest tight when I see the spine. Because, like, I was just openly weeping about it. And so I was just talking about how so good it was, how so impactful it was. And I guess I tagged the cre- the writer in it. And it's so funny because, like, his response to it, to it was, wow, thanks. <laughs> just like. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, oh, wow, that's a lot. Like, you could have just liked it, dude. And it just, it was just kind of funny. It was, wow, thanks. Like. Thanks for interacting. <laughs> you really didn't have to. You could have just ignored my drug tweets. Like you could have just liked it and moved on with your life. But yeah. <laughs> or, you know, if you did want to interact because it was impactful and like that's fine. But, you know, <laughs> it was just, I laughed so hard when I saw that because uh, maybe that he just kind of tweets in much more like subdued tones than me but it, it was just such a counter like it was just like I wasn't so drunk that I was like emotive it was just something on my mind that I wanted to tweet about and I just the idea of a care you know much more dramatically drunk version of me just like sobbing about how like just like it's so good it's just so good and just having somebody stone face go yeah wow thanks <laughs> just really <laughs> it the image is just so hilarious to me like why the fuck not the world's ending you might as well have something that means a little bit to you